there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. I'm doing a series now called The Holy Spirit for Cynics and Zealots. <laughs> That's an interesting series. It's going to take us through July, okay? It's going to take us through the next month. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit lots. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of an introduction to that today. Cynics, cynics and zealots. Let's talk about those for a moment. What's a cynic? Uh, a cynic might be somebody who's suspicious that something slightly underhanded or negative might be happening. That's a cynic, okay? And uh, if you're, there are people within Christendom, even in the world, that are slightly more down the end of cynical when it comes to the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, okay? So there are cynics. Uh, I'm cynical about some things in life. I'm sure you are as well. Quite right now, I'm a bit cynical about politics, if I'm honest. You know, I watch that and I'm a little bit cynical. I feel a little bit like maybe something underhanded or negative might be happening there. Uh, and, and so sometimes cynicism might be warranted. There might be a reason for it, okay? But I'd suggest that being cynical about God the Holy Spirit might not be warranted, maybe. And then at the other end of the scale, there's zealots. Have you ever heard of that word? That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it, zealots? Zealots are people who are like fully, almost crazy, scarily into it. Okay, that's a zealot, isn't it? I'm looking at Sophie. And uh, when it comes to matters of the Holy Spirit, you get, these, you get zealots about the Holy Spirit, okay? And a zealot would put, so if you're not seeing miracles happen daily in your life, then your Christianity is just not good enough. Okay, that's a zealot. Okay. If your three-year-old is not speaking in tongues and walking on water in the bath, you're just not a Christian. That's, that's a zealot, okay? They're at that end of the scale. Now, I dare say, while Sophie may be more at that end of the scale than me, that I would dare say we're probably somewhere in the middle sort of, sort of zone of that when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're new today and you haven't got a focus about the Holy Spirit. That's okay as well. But hopefully you're going to get to hear a little bit about it today. Um, we are, this church is a Pentecostal church. There you go. So you may have heard there's, there's Baptist Christians, there's C of E Christians, there's Methodist Christians, there's Brethren Christians, there's uh, United Reformed, there's all sorts of Christians, okay? There's independent, there's all sorts of names for churches. You've probably seen them and thought, oh, what, what, what's they're kind of fingers on the same hand, okay? It's Christianity, but kind of kind of different. And what makes Pentecostals different actually stems back about a hundred years or so. Because for a long period of time in Christian history, Christians believed that the Holy Spirit had kind of done his work and wasn't working anymore. And all we needed was the Bible. We didn't need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't speak through us. We just needed to preach the Bible, and that was enough. But then in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century, churches began to experience things that you would discover in the book of Acts, things that were beyond normal, miraculous things, things we associate with the Holy Spirit. And the churches didn't know what to do with it. 
They didn't, in all honesty. It was a bit weird. It was a bit zealot-like. It was a bit crazy. So some churches kind of tried to understand it and accept it and find a space for it. Other churches struggled with it. And out of that, the Pentecostal movement began. The Pentecostal movement were churches that believed the Holy Spirit was still moving, still speaking. Do you know what we've been singing this morning? Still at work in the lives of the church. And for a little while, that was very small, only a few churches, only a few places. But over time, over the 20th course of the 20th century, more and more churches became what we call kind of charismatic. In other words, even those churches that struggled at first to grasp it, even those churches that struggled to have a place for the Holy Spirit gradually became more and more Pentecostal. And so what you'll experience even today, there are probably are now a minority really of churches that continue to believe that all you need is the Bible. And actually, if you go to quite a number of C of E, Baptists, Methodists, etc., etc., they are quite charismatic, just like you'd find in a Pentecostal church. So years ago, Pentecostal churches were kind of standout. Today, not so much, but we're one of them. We're a Pentecostal church, okay? I'm just giving you a little bit of an overview there, just a little bit of history. It's way more detailed than that, but I just wanted to help you understand why we are a Pentecostal church. Now, if you Google this, let's see what the most popular questions are about Pentecostals. (laughs) Why do Pentecostals? And then I've just left it, okay? Why do Pentecostals fall to the floor? You, You may have heard that. Why do Pentecostals handle snakes? That's an interesting one. Why do Pentecostals baptize in Jesus' name? There's one. Why do Pentecostals not cut their hair? I've not heard that. What's that? It's outrageous, isn't it? I'm just going to move that so you can see this. Why do, why do Pentecostals have long hair? What's that about? Why do, why do Pentecostals not wear pants? I don't know why that is a question. Why is that a question on Google? Or is, that a th- or is that a thing and I've missed it? You're all like not wearing pants and I'm... Oh. Why do Pentecostals wear skirts? Good question. I literally, I literally, this week, literally this week, I just wrote those three words into my laptop. Why do Pentecostals? And that's what came up. So you'll see there's a lot of confusion out there about what a Pentecostal is. <laughs> Apparently we don't wear pants. Apparently we wear skirts. We fall down a lot and we handle snakes. So if that's your picture of Pentecostal, I'm not surprised a lot of people don't go to Pentecostal churches if that's the image of Pentecostals that most of us have. I, I, I get it now. I get why it's been a long, hard journey to grow our church because people think that's what we do in here. Uh, Annabelle, can you go and get my snake? Uh, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. So we're going to try and correct some of that thinking uh, over this series. This is a series about the Holy Spirit. We believe power is available today to experience supernatural. We believe power is available today that molds our behaviors towards Christ-likeness. We believe there's powerable power available today to give to others. 
We believe we have a very present friend to walk with us every day. And that we can encounter the presence of God in worship and his word through the Holy Spirit. Now today I'm going to let the Bible do most of the speaking. You'll be glad to hear. I'm gonna, we're going to work through a, a whole bunch of verses today that are going to help us to understand this. But we're going to begin it in the book of Numbers, which is way back in the Old Testament. And in Numbers chapter 11, it says this. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Midad, Midad, he's a Bristolian, a Bristolian, Midad, Eldad and Midad, it's not actually his dad, Eldad and Midad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish, say wish. wish. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Say on. on. Ooh. Way back in numbers. Now, what you have to understand in context of this passage is in those days, in those days, the prophet was the man of God, and everybody else followed him, listened to him. Because when he spoke, it was akin to God speaking. He was the voice, mouthpiece of God. So Moses was revered as the man of God who is, hears from God and shares it with the people. And then Eldad and my dad are in the camp and they're prophesying, which means speaking on behalf of God about the wonders of God or something along those lines. So Joshua is like, they're not the man of God. You're the man. Of, you've got to stop them. They can't prophesy. You're the prophet. And Joshua and, and Moses' response is wonderful. I wish everyone were prophets. And in that intention, in that was something prophetic in itself. Because Moses is saying, he's set in a trajectory, really, that what's in the heart of God is not just that the select few, the priest, the vicar, the prophet, would be filled with something to give from heaven, but that everyone would have something from heaven within them to give to someone else. He said, I wish it were the case. Well, little did Moses know that that was God's heart too. And so, we'll just fast forward a little bit to the prophet Joel. Now, here's another man of God. Here's another prophet, and he's prophesying to Israel, and he's saying to the people these words. They're perhaps the most famous passage when it comes to Pentecostals that, that we know. Joel 2, 28, 29. And afterward, it says this, I will pour out my spirit on all. Say all. All, all people. Not just the vicar. Not just the prophet. Not just the king. All people 
receive something from heaven, an endowment of power, giftedness, God's anointing to be able to break through. Your sons and daughters will, that's, I mean, in the, imagine in the Old Testament, that, that's just mind-blowing for these people. No, that's what the prophet does. That's what the Moses does. That's what Joel does. That's what Isaiah does. That's what Ezekiel, no, 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 no. My son, my daughter, no, 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 no. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young, next slide, men will see visions. Even on my servants, both, check that one out, men and, say it, men. come on, because that hasn't been the case in all of Christendom. Men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Joel is prophesying, he's saying there's a time coming. There's a time coming when that wish of Moses will be fulfilled. With that wish of Moses that everyone would prophesy. That time when everyone could experience what the select few would experience. When everyone could receive a gift from God and give it to someone else. When everyone could hear the voice of God and share it with others. When it's not just down to the one or two, but all people. It's Joel said, that day's coming. That day is coming. Well, if you know your Bible, that day arrived. But not before John chapter 14, verse 16, 17. This is Jesus' words. Okay? And he says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release something. I'm going to pray and I'm going to release something and you're going to receive the spirit and the spirit will be with you and will be in you. Oh, okay. So we've had Moses, I wish, Joel, it's going to happen, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to be, bring it into being. And then this is what happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost came, now Pentecost was a, a Jewish festival, and every year they would celebrate this festival, Pentecost. And it was on that day of celebration they were all together in one place. This is the disciples of Jesus. Jesus has died, ascended to heaven. They're waiting in Jerusalem. Their day of Pentecost comes. They're all together in one place. There's about 120 of them. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stood up. Oh, well, hold on for that for one moment. Just hold on for that slide a minute, John. So this is the day. Pentecost. They're together. They're praying. It's an ordinary day. 
sort of prayer meeting, except something powerful happens in that meeting. They sense the presence of God in such a powerful, dynamic way. They, they said, it's like the whole house was filled. And then they said, not only did it feel like the whole house was filled, but it, it seemed like to us, there was like fire upon us. And then when we spoke, it was like we began to speak in other languages that we'd never learned. When they leave that room, and they're, they're still in this state of filledness, the other Jews who were there for the festival, they listened to them and said, hang on a minute, Annabelle, you, you've just spoken in my language. How do you know how to speak my language? And she's like... So they come to the conclusion, they're drunk. <laughs> this is the conclusion that the, the people come to. They must be drunk. There's something wrong with them. They're zealots. They're crazy. There's something weird about this. There's something ooh, underhanded, and I'm a little bit cynical about this. And that's what's going on. And so Peter gets up, and he addresses the crowd because he's keen to tell people what's going on. And look at what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet, who? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter understands what's going on. Peter's put the pieces together. Peter's gone, this is not just any other, this is, this is what Joel promised. This is what Jesus prayed for. And this is now happening here. This is the time where there's a significant shift in the way God works in the earth. You see, before this point, God worked through individuals, this, the odd person here and there, the prophet, the king. But now, there's been a pouring out of that spirit of power to everyone in the room. All 120. Not a person left out. Not a child left out. Everyone is receiving power from God. Wow. So there's this you can see this trajectory through the Bible from, from Moses. I wish everyone would. Joel, it's going to happen. Jesus, I'm going to release it. Acts, on the day of Pentecost, it happens. We're called Pentecostals because we believe that day, that, that was the day when this became possible. Okay. Now, we have a term for this, being kind of filled with the spirit idea. And that term is called the baptism in the spirit. We had some great baptisms last week, didn't we? That was fantastic. Five people last week baptized here in the pool, baptized in water, fully dipped, fully out. I joked with Carly and Tara last week this morning. I said as they came in, I said, look, last week we actually didn't quite do it right. And we've got to do it again today. Um, <laughs> But they did. They were fully immersed, okay? And 
that term baptism is used for the Spirit as well, not just for water, but for the Spirit. And we find it in two particular verses. First one is Matthew 3, 11. It says this, I baptize you, this is John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will, say it, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here's the other verse. Next verse is going to be uh, the same word again. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. That's the Holy Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So those are the two verses. We get this picture of this idea of baptism. Now we know, because we talked about it last week, that baptism in water is about being fully in, isn't it? It's about being immersed. And there's that same idea in the Holy Spirit. It means to be immersed. It means to be fully filled. It means there's not one part of you that misses out on the influence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's not one bit that misses out. And why does it talk about fire? (laughs) We've seen that a couple of times, haven't we? Well, God's power throughout the Bible is often represented by the idea of fire. Remember the burning bush? Fire. Tongues of fire. All right? Not literal. They're not literally being set on fire by God. Please don't think that that's what's going to happen in a Pentecostal church. I thought that would be another Google thing. It's not literal. But fire describes God's purifying presence. It's like a holy hotness. That's what I like to think anyway. It's like a, it's like a holy... Okay. <laughs> I'm being corrected by my front row this morning. It's like a holy hotness as opposed to coldness or lukewarmness. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with this fire for God. Fire that burns within us for his name, for his name's sake, and for the world that we live in. His burdens, his passions become our burdens and our passions. His righteousness becomes our passion for righteousness. Now, let me just make a distinction because when a person becomes a Christian, something happens within us. We are reborn spiritually. Before that point, spiritually speaking, we're cut off from God. You might, we're, we're dead, really, spiritually speaking. We're alive physically, alive emotionally, alive mentally, but spiritually, we're cut off from God. We're dead. And then in the moment that we give our lives to Jesus, we repent and we're baptized in water, what happens is we are reborn in terms of our, the spiritual dimension of our lives. We're suddenly switched on to God. All the things we were disinterested in before, suddenly, we find massively interesting. Before, we couldn't give a monkeys about God. Now we find ourselves hungry, wanting to read the Bible for some reason. Why? Spiritually, we've come alive in the name of Jesus. We've come alive in the name of Jesus. Okay? That's what's happened. We've come alive spiritually. The Spirit's now resident within us. So the Spirit lives within us. But there's a distinction in the Bible between the Holy Spirit living within us and the Holy Spirit coming upon us 
Those are two different things. There's the spirit lives within you. Yeah, you're Christian. You're saved. But then there are times when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Like he overshadows you. Or like he clothes you. Or like he places his hand on you. When I was 19, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Around about here. <laughs> and I was in a service like this. And somebody laid hands on me and they prayed for me. I have to say, it wasn't like tongues of fire or anything supernatural and scary. But what I found was, I began to speak in languages I'd not learned before. And what I found was, I had this overwhelming sense of joy. And what I found was, when I began to give people advice, they would say, how did you know that? I would preach, and people would say, it was like you were preaching right into my circumstance. How did you know that about me? That's prophecy, by the way. Now, that isn't me. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You begin to be operate in gifts and power that's not yours in the natural. You become supernatural in some areas. Of, well, not every day, all the time. My son doesn't walk on water in the bath. I don't, get, I don't get miracles every single day. But God's given me something from heaven to give to you. And God wants to give you something from heaven too. Because I'm not Moses here. It's not just all about Mike and the Mike Williams show. It's not. That wouldn't be a great show. This is all, all people. How is a person baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, Let's just rifle through some verses before we finish. Acts chapter 8 says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they, there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come, say that word, on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. How? Just people that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, place a hand on the person that hasn't, say, Jesus, do your thing. That's what happened. Next verse. Peter was astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Okay, that's just a, you need to know about that, is this. It was happening among the Jews. And they kind of had a bit of a framework for that because of Moses' wish and Joel's prophecy and what Jesus had said. And he thought, oh yeah, Jews are going to. But then, the very same thing that's happening in the Pentecost, that very same point starts happening to people that aren't Jews. Starts happening on Greek people. Now, Peter's like, what? What's happening here? It really does mean all people. It does really mean all people. Next verse. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, uh, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
So Paul asked, then, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Boom, in the water, down, up, straight away, brilliant. When Paul placed his hands on them, what happened? Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There's a pattern developing here. Whenever they did this, this is what happened. Next one. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, oh, that's actually the next verse for my next point. Ignore the fact that I just read that. Pretend I didn't, because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. So what we're seeing is this. They laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They placed hands on them. How is a person baptized in the Holy Spirit, generally speaking? You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit wherever you are, but generally speaking, it happens when somebody says, I pray for you. And then they pray. And then they receive. And that's it. That's it. Just faith to say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. What was the effect of them being filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read to you a verse that you've never heard before. <laughs> After they prayed... After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what spoke the word of God boldly? One of the effects of the Holy Spirit was this boldness, this courage, where they were previously shy, timid, maybe cynical. Suddenly they're like, oh. and they're, there's a boldness. They're standing tall in their faith. They're not afraid. They're not ashamed. There's a boldness, and they're speaking with authority and boldness about what's happened in their lives. And it's just, this isn't Christianity like, oh, do you know what? Maybe, I'm very sorry, but if you'd just like to maybe consider the idea that maybe there's a... This is, this is not that Christianity. God's spoken to me, and I think he's saying this over your life, and, and the person's like, whoa, boldness. What else happened? Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy happened. And last one, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Prophesied is just one of a number of spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about in this series. So keep coming on Sundays through July because you're going to get more of this. But there are gifts. There are things that God, gifts that God gives us to be able to give to others when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, people come to church for all sorts of reasons. Probably top of the bill, we come because of the great tea and coffee that we put on. It's good. Maybe they come because friendships. Oh, I just want to build friendships, be part of a community. All good. All good. Maybe they come because of the worship. Maybe they come for other reasons, but do you know what God wants more than anything when you're here? Because he loves all that, but you know what is in his heart? That same wish of Moses. He wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can change the world he loves through your influence.
wants to get a hold of you. Wants to get his hands on you. Wants to get his spirit on you. Wants to put boldness in you. Wants to put his joy in you. So that when you go out there, people are like, what's different about them? That's what he wants to do. So we create space here. Not just for you to be baptized in water. But for the spirit to come upon you. All of you. And even the kids. This year at kids camp, guess what happened? Got all the kids in a room. We laid hands on them, and kids started speaking in tongues. Yeah, just started happening. It wasn't me, wasn't the leaders, wasn't, they just started doing it. They're like seven, eight-year-olds. Just placed a hand, asked God, filled them with the Holy Spirit, because it's on all people. 